Welcome to Mountain Talk Monday. I'm your host, Kelly Haywood, and I am here with the illustrious, wonderful young folks from AMI, the Appalachian Media Institute. And we're going to talk today about the projects that they're working on, the film projects, and their experience with AMI. And also, we want to ask them, what do they envision for our region? What do they envision for a future here? And as a mom myself, I'm super curious to see what this generation of folks has in mind as I work to ensure that my daughters feel like they have opportunities here. We'll start just by everyone introducing themselves. My name's Aaron Combs. I'm from Vico, 21 years old. My name's Alyssa Lowe. I'm from Carter County in Grayson. I'm 22 years old. My name is Jade Sloan. I'm from Knott County and I'm 19. My name is Jaden Tolliver. I'm from Whitesburg and I'm 17. Uh, my name is uh, Oakley Fugit. I'm from here in Whitesburg and I'm 22. My name is Allie Baker and I'm from in Ledger County and I'm 18 years old. My name is Josh Collier. I'm 16 years old. I'm from a little town called Waco in Madison County, Kentucky. Welcome to Studio C at WMMT. Apple Shop has now almost 50 years of history in making film. It started with a young bunch of folks just like yourself. What brought you to applying to be in this program? Why are you interested in film? I started making films when I was 12 years old with a $20 camera I purchased at a dollar store that only recorded five seconds of video. Really just the desire um, because uh, I have nerve damage in my right hand so I can't you know for a draw or write. So really like film is my way to express myself. You know, it's just kind of amazing, you know, having a desire for film and finding a place that teaches uh, youth how to make documentaries and films. It's a real dream come true, to be honest. What kind of film are you interested in making? Fictional or documentary or... Really, uh, most of them have been uh, fictional, but I am trying, wanting to try my hand uh, at the documentary style, which is both uh, take a while, but documentary takes a tiny bit more to do, or, you know, rather I just keep wanting to tell more and more, and so, you know, I could easily make like a 10-hour uh, documentary if anyone I would actually watch it. Well, we have that problem quite often in radio. For example, my coworker Benny Becker has about seven hours of tape right now that he's going to have to cut down to five minutes. <laughs> we call it killing our darlings. I guess there's some parallels there in that form. Anybody else want to talk about why you are interested in film? We just want to do amazing things. That's all we're interested in. For me personally, I applied to be in the AMI this this summer because back home I'm studying in fine arts. I would like to be an animator or storyboard artist and my professor felt having the background in the film and like cutting and editing and filming would be something that those companies would really like to see. So that's why I'm here but I've learned much more and gained a lot of perspective than I thought I would. And where are you going to school? I go to Moorhead State. I'm okay. a senior this year. I kind of just started because I was curious. I'd known about the Apple shop my whole life, and I saw the application, and I was like, okay. And when I first applied, I just completely fell in love with it, and it became my life and my major. I kind of found out about the program by accident, really. I had actually applied for a another summer program in, in the arts field, and I didn't get accepted to that program, but they gave a list of other suggestions for the summer. And all the way down at the bottom, there's this little advertisement for Apple Shop summer program. And I'd always known about the Apple Shop. I've had several family members in the past that have been a part of it, but I didn't ever really know exactly what it was. It was just kind of this big wooden building in Whitesburg that somehow makes documentaries and stuff. So I applied, and I came, and I had never really made any documentaries or filmed a whole lot in the past, but I'm really glad that I was accepted. Well, I heard about AMI driving around on the radio, talking to the exact same. 
on this station or another station? On WMT. So you've been listening to my whole life. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. When I was your age, AMI existed, and kids would come in from all around Letcher County, but somehow it was really elusive to many of us. And so we would have encounters sometimes, those of us who ran around town with AMI students, and we never really, most of us, or at least those that I ran with anyway, never had an idea on how we could also do that. So I'm interested in knowing how the rest of you hear about AMI. I heard about AMI back at school. I had to take a Appalachian Arts class with uh, Professor Joy Gritton, and I love her. She had Lacey Hale come speak to our class, and as soon as I walked into class and I saw this purple-haired girl in my, my classroom, and she gave us a presentation about her work and being an artist in the region, and then at the end of it, she mentioned where she worked, and Joy looked at me, and she was like, someone should apply for that internship. When I was in the seventh grade, they called us all up to the library, and this guy named Ben Spangler walked in, and he just started talking about it, and I seen, well, this guy's got a beard and long hair, it's pretty awesome, I want to be a part of that. <laughs> I was in my sixth period fantasy uh, literature class, and... Ben Spangler and uh, Eagle uh, Brosley uh, walked in and just told us about it. And um, my cousin William was actually in an Apple shop film in the 90s, but he told me that they quit making films long ago. So just hearing that they was, you know, like the like the, that they would teach you the skills to make it, uh, like really interested me. So I got an application, lost it, got another application, spilled a, my ink pen, exploded, spilled ink all over it, and I turned it in, and they still accepted me, so... <laughs> Pretty accepting bunch we are, I think. <laughs> Mistakes and all. I heard about AMI through a friend at school, and he just explained it to me, and it seemed like a very non-discriminatory and safe environment that also makes documentaries. So I, I was very interested in that. So I just applied and got into it. Well, congratulations to all of you. I think it's a really huge opportunity as you said being in a safe place where you're open and free to express yourself while also doing something turning that energy into something productive that's the best that anyone could hope for really in their life is a career or a avenue that you can take where you have free self-expression and you can also feel like you're making a difference one way or another or being productive Let's talk about the films that you're making right now and what inspired you towards those topics. From my understanding, you pair up, or there's like three of you to a group, right? And then you choose your topic and you hit the road. I actually talked to somebody who you interviewed yesterday, and he's been interviewed by major media sources all over the place. He said that that was the best line of questioning and the best interview that he has ever given. Who are you interviewing? What are your topics? The general idea when we were pitching topics was, my idea was to do a piece on Mike Dixon. I don't know if you know who that is. Um, he lives in Hindman and he is a psychology professor and he makes instruments. But it grew to be a piece focusing on the youth in the region, not necessarily just young people, but people who, of all ages, who are doing something that affects the community in a positive way. They work full-time and they do something else. So we've interviewed about 13 people, uh, Robert Guy being one of them, Mitch Whitaker, Laura Smith, Tommy Anderson is one of them. So we have a lot of footage to go through, but I think it's going to be really great. And my group is Josh and Jaden, and they can say whatever they like. So why that topic? Why these people? Well, a lot of it was just kind of suggestions and the little boss lady over there telling us that we needed to interview these people. Uh, but we, we've also stumbled upon a few others. When we went to interview Laura Smith, she lives in Manchester. She works with the Babcock Foundation and has her own small farm. We went to the farmer's market there, and, and we actually found several other people just kind of by chance. Uh, one lady has just started an arts uh, 
kind of gallery sales place in downtown Manchester called The Makery, which is where um, young artists, young and old artists, can bring their products and sell them and teach others how to make art in the region. And so we got to interview her, and it's just really kind of, it, it's changed a lot throughout the whole process, but we've found a, really a lot of great people to interview and, and gotten some great opinions and information. Our group, we're making a documentary over discrimination in small rural communities, and most of it re revolves around recent events, especially with the Black Lives Matter sign that was put up, and we're getting just different people's feedback on that, but how we can also push forward away from discriminatory things in small communities in Central Appalachia so we can try and unite together as we're pushing into the future. We spoke to the two gentlemen that organized the vigil on Main Street for the Orlando uh, shooting. That was a very eye-opening interview, speaking to both of them. And, and what about it was eye-opening for you? Well, they'd also uh, owned a nightclub somewhat similar to the one that was shot in Orlando and uh, they just spoke about how it could have easily have been them you know in a different world you know in a different time and that was really uh, intense. I'm helping uh, the discrimination group and at the same time I'm producing my own piece which I'll call a double profile piece if you will. Um, where uh, I'm uh, interviewing two uh, members of the LGBT community and instead of just focusing on that one aspect of their life, you know, I, like, I want to learn like all about their lives, you know, and the tr hardships growing up because like as a child I grew up in a holler that kind of a lot like a, like a good place to live if you had the same mindset as the people who live there. And you know, all throughout my life I heard, oh, Whitesburg is a more accepting place so I actually moved to Whitesburg and for a little while it looked like it and then I noticed the same discrimination and that's really a hardship everyone has to face is that your own town uh, does discriminate against people and if you think it doesn't then you're blind. I'm also helping with the discrimination piece but I'm doing a piece of my own as well, mostly about the interns. I'm going to try to show the progress that they've made because I think it's important that they have a documentation of how clumsy they were in the beginning to now where they're making their own documentaries and pretty proud of the work they're doing. And it really is. It's a skill that not many people in this region is going to have coming into out of high school and right out of college. So it really does kind of put you at an advantage to have this kind of skill opens up a little more what you can do. A friend of mine said the other day, and we have a little bit of a difference in opinion around the recent shootings and things that have happened, not too far apart, but a little, and he said, suffering isn't racist or discriminatory. Suffering is a state of the human condition, that we can all agree to agree on that, and not to qualify one person's suffering as bigger than yours or less than yours. I really liked what you said, Oakley, about that not being the focus of your film, but a person's life. We all have things that make us who we are, and it's not just any one thing, it's a combination of a lot of things. Having also grown up in Whitesburg, it can seem like a mecca to some, and, and I think some people who visit here just see the surface layer of what the town offers and the town's history digging a little deeper and showing the reality and how we can all eventually I think we could come together if we learn more about our life stories making someone a person rather than a label so this is important work you're doing how do you see it as being different from what any of the other media outlets in the area are doing? Or what do you hope is different? Really, like, uh, like so many people, I, like especially like outside media, they always have this certain uh, narrative. Like you'll notice that there's always these same shots like different media have 
because like there was like that snake uh, hunter uh, TV show like on Animal Planet and so I watched it and they picked like the absolute worst shots of Whitesburg you know to portray it as this like isolated town you know they they didn't get any of the art decorations, you know, they didn't get the beauty of the town. They purposely went out of their way to find the worst-looking shots. Like to that, you know, they want to show it all. Look at this guy. He lives out in the mountains and hunts the uh, snakes. Whereas, uh, like my documentary is to, uh, you know, kind of to open people's eyes and, like, change my community. So I believe that's the difference, you know. They're doing it for exploitation. And I mean, some, you know, do have good intentions, but, you know, you can't really make a piece about Whitesburg unless you live in Whitesburg. I mean, you can, but you're not going to get the story that someone who was born and, and raised here and has come here every, almost every week of his life. Like, like they all have their own, like, their own goals and stuff, and mine is just to, like, you know, open people's, uh, like, minds and... I really don't feel like everybody is like discriminatory like at heart or bigoted at heart, you know, it, it's a taught behavior. And I feel, you know, helping people realize this is wrong or, you know, or like what some people see as, uh, you know, oh, I was just messing with them, oh, I was just doing this, you know, it, it can hurt a lot more than you intend something to hurt. Just really uh, like, like to open the eyes and like help strive because I hope to be able to live here in Whitesburg and hear one of my relatives when go through high school as uh, how, like, has who they are and not be discriminated against. Or, you know, or if they are the person who does the bullying is like immediately put in their place or disciplined. I think going with what Oakley said, the media outside, they just see it as a job. They just want to get their story and, you know, turn in the story. But I feel what we're doing here is more personal. I'm not from Weisberg, but back home when I decided to apply for this, I mentioned in my application that one of the reasons I'd like to be a part of it is so I could learn more about my home. I've always had this mindset that as soon as I graduate college, I'm like, I'm out of here, I'm moving. And I feel that when I was deciding what I wanted to do my piece on, Mike Dixon stood out because he was so passionate about where he lived, and it made, like, my experience that I've had here so far and then him just speaking to us made me more proud to be here and like I actually began to thought I could actually live here you know and be happy so at this point my film is just gonna be one of those that I hope inspires people more to just get up and do something and stay here if you like but go if you want it's more personal to me on that level as I'm interviewing these people and finding these people living here it's inspiring to me to stay here as well. I think that mine's largely just because I see a lot of the youth here thinking that there's nothing to do, it's a complete dead end, and I think that I want mine to kind of show that, yeah, these people are from a small town or from Appalachia, and it's typically known as something that's not going to get you anywhere, so you have to move away, but I think that this is going to show people that youth have a lot to do they have a voice they can say it and this is a place to do it and there's plenty of other ways they just need to open their minds to it and see what's going on i had the mindset no more than two months ago that i hated this town i was to the point to where i was willing to do anything to get out being in the program has opened my eyes a little bit i now have the uh, aspiration to open a restaurant whenever i get out of high school stick around for a little bit being somebody from out of town, my grandparents live here. I, I've got family uh, across Pine Mountain in Harlan County. Ever since I was a child, we've always come several times a year to visit, visit family. And I thought that I knew for the most part what Whitesburg was, what it had to offer and everything. And I was kind of going out on a limb by coming to Apple Shop because it sounded like it would be a great thing. But I thought, oh, well that'll be all I'll do this summer. There won't be a whole lot else there. And I was fine with that because I knew I got I would get to spend time with my family and everything, but you know, I maybe wouldn't get to go out and have as much fun doing other things because there wasn't a whole lot to do. And being here just for eight weeks, it's really proven to be rather the opposite. And maybe we just never really did a whole lot before as a family, but there's a lot more in this little town of 2,000 people than 
I would have ever realized. And it's really been, I've just loved living here in this summer. When I was little, I always thought that maybe I would move to the mountain just to get away and, and live alone by myself and be an old man. But maybe now I could move to the mountains and actually do other things with other people just like you would anywhere else and still get to live with hills around you. I think going back to what Oakley said, so much of this area has been exploited by so many media groups and most of them just come in, they get what they want and they leave and they don't really push for a significant change. And what all our groups are trying to do is we're making these documentaries, we're getting in touch with people, we're starting conversations and we're all pushing for change. We want this area to survive. We're tired of just these media groups exploiting us and pushing so many stereotypes on us and we're all just making these documentaries and trying to get change. Even the local media does a really poor job of capturing people's lives. We just try to offer an unbiased, objective viewpoint of what we're, whatever we're filming. We want to capture both sides or all the sides. Or we want to capture everything. We're not interested interested in one side or the other. AMI is definitely the only uh, group that I've ever group of people that has ever felt proud about where they're from that I've met and uh, it's really changed the way I feel about Appalachia also. Yeah I know when I was growing up I was a teenager through or the early mid 90s and as I was growing up I was taught to be a proud Appalachian person but it was more proud of my heritage, proud of my history, not so much contemporary because I was going into a more artistic field, which was English and creative writing, I was told that I would need to leave here in order to make a living. And I was encouraged to go to school out of state. I ultimately chose not to uh, and went to Moorhead. But my parents and the parents of most of my friends, in hopes of wanting our life to be even better than theirs, encouraged us to leave. There was a sense in the 90s, too, that things were getting better as far as discrimination. I didn't think that at this time that it would feel like we went backwards instead of forwards. I know we were talking about things when I was in school that I don't think people talk about now or feel safe to talk about now. To me, that's really surprising. Some new voices are joining our newscasts. I'm Becca Schimmel in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Glennis Board in Wheeling. Benny Becker in Whitesburg, Kentucky. Voices from across three states in the Ohio Valley. Aaron Payne, Athens, Ohio. I'm Nicole Irwin in Murray, Kentucky. Bringing you stories on the region's biggest issues. Covering economy and infrastructure. Energy and environment. Jobs and money in Eastern Kentucky. The voices of a new regional journalism partnership called the Ohio Valley Resource. We, we are, are the, the Ohio, Ohio Valley, Valley Resource. Resource. Beginning this week, doctors fighting the region's opioid addiction crisis will have a little more to work with. The federal government will allow doctors to treat more patients with a drug called buprenorphine. The medication has solid support from science, but remains controversial in some circles. Reporter Aaron Payne visited three addiction treatment centers with three very different approaches and found that there's no silver bullet when it comes to addiction. Men gathered at a halfway house in Louisville offer support to one another as they work through addiction during a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. James Sweezy is among them. Until three years ago, he lived a life of substance abuse that began with drinking and escalated to more dangerous substances, like opioid painkillers. Sweezy would eventually seek help in getting off the narcotics and went to a medication-assisted treatment facility. Give me a bottle of Suboxone, and much like most people that take it right now, I thought it was a miracle drug. Suboxone is a form of buprenorphine, a less potent opioid prescribed for detox and managing cravings afterwards. 
The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services is expanding timely access to buprenorphine. A new federal rule allows certified physicians to treat up to 275 patients with the medication, up from 100. This is important to those treating patients in rural areas. The service is not as available as quickly as I would like it to be. That's Dr. Joseph Gay, Executive Director of Health Recovery Services. He oversees the private nonprofit operating behavioral health and addiction programs throughout Southeast Ohio. Two of the programs offer buprenorphine combined with therapy. Dr. Gay says the government has good science behind its decision to expand use of the drug. A study published in a 2015 edition of the Journal of Substance Abuse Treatment found those treated with medication like buprenorphine were less likely to relapse into addiction than those treated without. Similar studies regarding medication-assisted treatment, MAT for short, repeatedly produce similar results. The science is pretty clear, but there's still a lot of resistance to MAT. That resistance is largely due to the abuse of buprenorphine. Addicts have used the drug to maintain their tolerance while getting stronger opioids rather than completing treatment. Hopewell Health Centers is expanding its MAT program to facilities throughout southeast Ohio, like the one here in Perry County, with a different drug, Vivitrol, as the lone medication. The director of the program, Kate Jiggins, says unlike buprenorphine, Vivitrol is not an opioid. It just seems to be a cleaner clean. That person is literally opiate-free, and this medication blocks that mu receptor, so even when they, if they were to use, there's no high. Jiggins speculates the government may favor buprenorphine because it's easy to prescribe on day one of treatment, while Vivitrol requires the client to be completely opioid-free first. Also, the body of research supporting Vivitrol, while growing, is not as extensive as that for buprenorphine. Another treatment facility, Recovery Point in Huntington, West Virginia, emphasizes abstinence. Matt Boggs is the executive director of Recovery Point. Its three residential treatment facilities encourage clients to recover without medication. We just believe at Recovery Point in total transformation without the presence of mood or mind-altering substances. Boggs, however, acknowledges many ways to reach recovery and believes if one model of treatment doesn't work, another should be sought. That's an approach James Sweezy can agree with. After abusing Suboxone, he got clean without medication. Now he advocates for recovery through sobriety, but Sweezy says he doesn't think any treatment method should be ruled out. Anything's better than being dead. There's all different kinds of treatment. You know, I'm not locked into any one thing. Science, however, does not suggest all treatments are equal. And unless the evidence tips toward another method, the government will continue to rely on buprenorphine in the fight against addiction. For the Ohio Valley Resource, I'm Aaron Payne in Athens, Ohio. Ohio Valley Resource is a public media partnership covering the region's economic transition and is made possible with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and WMMT. I'm Kelly Haywood, and you are listening to Mountain Talk Monday on WMMT. Real stories, real news, real people radio. Brought to you straight from the heart of central Appalachia. Thanks for listening. I chose to live in Louisville for seven years. The other 30 years I've been somewhere in eastern Kentucky. And I really value the experience of being somewhere else because it does let you know exactly what we have here and exactly what we need to work on. Because I can tell you right now what I miss about living in Louisville. And it's not what I thought I would miss and what I appreciate more about living here. I do think there's definitely some value in seeing other things and um, experiencing other things. Has AMI opened any doors for you in terms of having new experiences that you maybe wouldn't have had had you not been a part of the program? Well, uh, AMI is actually like what convinced me to uh, go ahead how to go to college because uh, we're, um, I have uh, Asperger's syndrome and nerve damage. I was told uh, pretty much I had a, I, I could just go get a, just go say I couldn't work and get a, get a disability check for like 600 a month and, you know, and I thought, but I'm not, I'm not disabled. I, I can work, you know, not social places, but I can work them. 
and like so I you know I was kind of uh, debating on that because I really um you know because I was worried like I was like I don't want to work at a, a restaurant or a grocery store just because like I, like I get tense like when I'm around people I don't know or in large crowds uh, like I am I was like what convinced me to go to college because I didn't even consider uh, college because in high school, I told him I wanted to make films, and the teacher said, but pick a more real, a realistic thing, and I wouldn't know why, and I, I just wouldn't do it, because, you know, as I, you know, I am stubborn to the point where I'd rather do nothing at all than do something I didn't want. And so, you know, uh, like when I got here, uh, and, and Natasha Watts, who was the, I think the, uh, either the lead educator or program director, apologies if I got her exact title wrong, but she convinced me to actually try for college, you know, and to try and get a media degree to, to, to work in the field I like. From personal experience, AMI is the first place where I've been comfortable and not scared of being open about being transgender and gay. And I think that that's a great thing. Like, there, there's probably no other job around here that I would be comfortable with saying that but AMI has really helped me be comfortable in my own skin and you don't have to be scared to be open when you're in AMI because like I said before it's non-discriminatory and it's, it really is a safe zone that you can just be yourself in. Yeah I've definitely uh, experienced the whole safe zone part. I met a lot of friends over the summer. I went from having no friends to like a room full of them so been really great. AMI has opened endless doors for me. It's been a thing that I've been doing for four years and they've taken me to New Mexico and just the greatest experience in the world but it just kind of gave me a purpose. I found what I love to do by chance and it's just great that I found something to light that part of who I am and I just think it's really great. I've always felt like I've been a fairly experienced person just in general but this summer with AMI I really feel like I've come to understand the world a lot better the world that I live in and, and even farther away from here I've, I've tried more ethnic foods being with AMI <laughs> than I have really probably in the the rest of my life and that's something that I really enjoy doing but not only have I gained the skills to use a camera somewhat professionally and to help other people tell their stories but I also think that I've added a pretty good story to my own and I've gotten to understand and, and learn about a lot more than just technical filming things. No, not to keep on uh, talking talking about, I do want to add that uh, going through high school, like a few uh, people, you know, I always feel like no one believes in them, you know, or like no one truly does. I mean, yeah, you know, mom and dad will say, oh yeah, you, you can be an astronaut, you know, but like reality, they're just like, when's he going to snap out of it and get, get a real job? Then like going through high school and being openly told that I can't do what I want to do or I have no shot. And, uh, like, AMI is, like, the first place where I've actually had someone who is my peer, someone who is my boss, like, actually believe in me. And, you know, for, for any, like, you know, teens or, like, anyone who's struggling with, or, uh, struggling with, like, who they are, sometimes just being told, I believe in you, you can do what you want, is the, is, is the most helpful thing in the world. AMI gives me hope. And... When I started, like, I was a completely different person in, in some aspects. Like, just from eight weeks, almost, it's really changed my life for the better. You know, and it's gave me experiences that I'll never forget. The people I'm working with, you know, they're just great people. One thing that I really wish, because I believe a certain thing, as Oakley, you're saying, a lot of us are discouraged especially if we choose a creative pathway as a career, discouraged from making that any more than a hobby. And as I said, told to leave here if we want to pursue that. When I see the people around, like some of the people you've mentioned that you've interviewed, the people taking the steps to take a risk 
open a business and see if it works here. I truly believe that they have had some unique experience or a unique opportunity presented to them. That opportunity allowed them to have a perspective where that was worthwhile for them. So many of us, if we go on just our willpower alone, aren't going to get there. And I see AMI as one of those unique opportunities. And if there's one thing I know that I wish we could do was accept more students into the program and expand it into other forms of media so that we can serve more of our youth. Because as you mentioned, it giving you hope, when I sit down with this group of young folks of this age, I have more hope than I've had in a long time. It also makes me realize that I'm not a youth anymore. <laughs> in my head, I like to think I am. Another thing that I'm super jealous of y'all about is your traveling this year. So I, I saw the pictures from Pittsburgh. I've never been to Pittsburgh. And I've got a friend that just moved there. And he's been talking about how awesome it is. So I definitely want to visit. And you have a Carnegie Yep. shirt on so let's talk about that what was that all about the carnegie center right the carnegie museum in pittsburgh what was that all about oh, it was amazing there was the paintings dinosaurs rocks everything <laughs> you could hope for in one building it was really cool i cried when we were looking at the classic paintings because like i mentioned before i study art back at school and it was the first time i've got to see a monet in person it'll probably be the last for a long time so i was just standing there tearing up real good but i loved it i love pittsburgh beautiful there it's a lot bigger than vico <laughs> are you sure mm, a huh. bit. <laughs> uh, just just thought cause it, was, it was like real interesting to like see a place you know, with a like just just so vast, like you could feel like you could spend like an entire year there and still not even scratch the surface of what it's about. Yeah, we went to the museum twice, and there was no way we could have saw everything. You know, it's just not possible. Too big of a place. Pittsburgh was amazing. Is that the first museum like that some of you have been to, or all mm -hmm. of you? Oh yeah, that's really the only museum I've been to. One of the really unique and and most enjoyable things about our trips for me i think was that the guy that we worked with at carnegie took us on several tours of different neighborhoods throughout pittsburgh and pittsburgh's been struggling for the past 30 years with the loss of the steel industry similarly to how we're now struggling with the loss of the coal industry and even in some of the more run-down neighborhoods that you could tell had obviously been hit the hardest. There now is starting to be a, a revival of the arts, of just general better living for the residents. Even with little funding, they're starting programs for the whole neighborhood to be able to learn how to screen print, to keep their libraries open, and even just, we went in a little sundry shop that sells healthy homemade soaps and shampoos and things. And to see that that could exist in an area that looks like it's having such a hard time economically gives me even more hope for what we might be able to do here. And that, I think, was really valuable in our trips to Pittsburgh, in addition to just getting to see so many other wonderful things. When I was a kid, we didn't travel hardly at all, and if we traveled on vacation, you know, we went to some state resort park a few counties over and camped, you know, so we weren't really seeing a new landscape. But I'll never forget, I went to the Cincinnati Museum of Art when I was newly in college. You talking about the Monet reminded me of this, and I tell people this, not a lot, but sometimes and they look at me in horror. But I saw my first Van Gogh when the docent went out the door. I touched it. <laughs> and um, you shouldn't do that. No. I mean, no. Worth it, though. Um, but, I mean, he piled up that paint for a reason. And I think 
think it's to make his paintings touchable. <laughs> but I had to. And, and talking about an emotional response to seeing some of these classic paintings that we can only see on a slick piece of paper or through a screen, actually seeing the very thing that the artist's hand touched. I want to ask, you're creating art, and the film that you make has the potential of touching someone in that way. I don't know, maybe someone will see your film and decide, hey, I can stay here, or maybe I want to stay here to do my work because I want to help my community. Or maybe they will see the film and realize that there are people right here that want to be their family, their community family, and reach out and have a network that they didn't have before. Now, art changes people, and it opens minds and informs. That's a huge responsibility when we're directing the information that someone receives. How do you feel about that responsibility and what your film has the potential to do? It's a little bit daunting at first, especially when you explain it in that way and then look at us for an answer but uh, it, it makes you feel powerful too that all those little things that you always wanted before and never thought could be possible might actually be possible maybe you can actually change someone else's life and even if it's just in a small way in a small town if you see that that works out maybe you can do something even bigger what do you hope your film does I hope that it opens the eyes of younger people to realize that you don't have to get a job, that you're allowed to make a job, that you can stay here. And because that's really what I realized this summer was that I could make a job. And Kate's helped me realize that I can get people to help me get that started also. I hope that our film inspires people, not just from here, but everywhere. I know for me, being here and doing something this big, it's something that my brothers, when they grow up, they can be like, oh, my sister did that, and then they can feel like they can do it too. Like my brother Caleb, he's 12, and I catch him all the time trying to film his own YouTube videos on this really, really crappy camera, and he's got it aimed at his DS, and he thinks he, you know, he wants to be a YouTuber. I don't interrupt him or say anything because I, I really hope the best for him and I want him to be here at AMI when he reaches the proper age. So I think that's my hope for it, that they see what we did here, that they know it's here for them to come to, that it just stays in the public eye for as long as it can. Now my 10-year-old, she'll be 11 in just a few weeks, is a YouTuber, and she makes stop-motion videos with her toys. I'm hoping someday that she'll broaden that. A little, so we'll see. What are your hopes for this region moving forward? I hope that the community grows because everybody has it right now has their mindset that, you know, there's nothing here and everything's gone. I hope that something happens in the near future that opens people's eyes to realize that there is a lot here, actually, that we can use and do. I would like to see more diversity and more opportunities. I feel that when a place is really diverse, they bring their own experiences and their own culture to the region and to the places where they're living. So I feel when you have that, it attracts others and that brings more people here and they want to stay here because it's a really cool place of just a melting pot of people. And I feel that when people move here to this region, there's so many kind people that it rubs off on them. So it's just, it, I hope in the future that when my brothers are old and they have families that it's just there's more businesses and there's more people and there's just a lot more opportunities so they don't feel they have to leave if they don't want to. I would love to see people in this region feel like they can do something themselves or with a small group of people from here and that they don't have to depend on someone larger or someone with more authority to tell them that they can or to, to give them their source of life because I feel like for so long that's all that people have known but also being here this summer it's really interesting to see the people that come to visit here I feel like the majority of the residents here and even I at times have felt like there's not anything here and that 
maybe we should try to start anew somewhere else and we just need a fresh start and I think that that can still be true for some of the people here and that some people maybe do need to move away to get what they really want but it's also really refreshing to see people that come here to visit we talked to George Mitch's intern the other day he's from London England and I really don't know how he ended up here in Whitesburg but to see him say good things about this place and to be excited about it and be happy to be here, a lot happier than a lot of people are that have had to live here their whole lives, maybe that means that we can bring in some new people from outside and have another fresh start for the mountains. And maybe that's what we need. And I never really saw that before. I feel bad, actually, because Mikey Burke and Lacey Hale aren't here, and Mikey is the lead educator of AMI, but he has also been in the program several times, has been a peer trainer, has been a co-educator last summer with Willa Johnson, and he's amazing, so we're really lucky to have him. And Lacey Hale, who introduced Alyssa to the program, she's a local artist and recently joined the AMI team, so it's been really cool to work with them. But I'm the director of AMI starting about seven months ago, so I'm brand new and this is my first summer actually getting to watch a group of young people go through the program. I've like worked really closely with Oakley and Jade and last year's AMIers but this is like my first group to see and I was sitting over there on the couch a minute ago just like crying and staring at all of them because it's just this group and I don't know I think I think it's typical for AMI but they're just incredible and they're brilliant and I feel like I go in there on a weekly basis and I'm like constantly challenged and I go home at night and I'm laying in bed literally until like two in the morning and I'm rethinking who I am and how I approach the program and what we need to do better. And it's all because they're just extremely inspiring and smart. And, you know, I think a lot of times when people work with youth, we have these like boundaries in our head or these expectations and we create these rules in the summer I realized like all the rules I created or all the boundaries I created they just weren't relevant they just didn't matter <laughs> they weren't relevant and I had to create new rules because these young people are telling us how to do it telling us how to like think and grow and push beyond and that's one thing I want to say for the future of the region is I'm 28 years old and like you, Kelly, I'm like, I'm the youth, you know, I'm, I'm the young person and I'm no longer the young person. And I already feel how my beliefs are becoming solidified, you know, ways that I discriminate against others are in a way like solidified and unshakable. We just need to put our faith in the young people because they're still growing and open-minded and pushing at us. And so my hope for the future is that young people go away or stay or come back, but that they feel invested in their home and that they share their experiences and inspire other people to do the same. So I just believe in you guys. I'm really grateful to all of you. <laughs> I'm not going to cry again now, but um, I just think it's amazing to watch this program. <laughs> Why should people in this region pay attention to AMI? What is AMI doing? You've gotten some national press lately. What are you doing that's different or unique? I think for me, even, when I heard about AMI, I'm from Richmond, Virginia, and it just, we talk a lot about stereotypes. We talk a lot about the history of the region through media, but like you were saying earlier, Kelly, I think that these young people and the young people I've encountered from years previously just totally reframe the narrative of this place through their own eyes, and sometimes it's not beautiful. It's not about glorifying the area. Sometimes they're attacking discrimination head on. And I think it's important because in this community, when young people speak, I think more people tend to open up their ears and listen than when adults speak. So it's incredibly valuable, even on a national level, to see how young people can change policy or influence policy, can change the minds of their grandparents or their elders or their community members or to understand who's not willing to listen, who's not willing to talk. Recent press has been interesting, and I think it's all about how we're framing this area through technology. There's been a lot of discussion about media and tech companies and bringing new opportunities and equitable economies, and it's a lot of like exciting talk. <laughs> you know, it's still to come, right? But I think that 
the real heart of it is that it's just young people putting their heads together and thinking in this space where it's now open for people to envision a new future. Where in the past there wasn't a lot of room because there was a mono economy here and young people could think within this paradigm, well, I want to work in a coal mine or I want to go here or I want to do art and their teachers were telling them to move on. But now there's just a big gap to be filled and it's the young people who are entering into that gap and kind of influencing what happens next. So I think it's important for the rest of the nation to look. I think there are a lot of mono economies around our country, and I think a, a lot of young people are realizing that they need to step up and fill those holes. We can't all live in the city. <laughs> There's not enough room. Or some people say there are, and that's what we should do. But I beg to differ, right? I think this is much cooler. I'm one of those <laughs> outsiders who have come in and I'm like, wow, <laughs> this place is so cool. <laughs> and it's hard. It's totally hard. Like Oakley was saying, like you see the anti-discrimination signs on business doors and that's the first thing you see when you enter here and it feels incredible. And then a few months in, you realize that people are really upset about a Black Lives Matter sign and it's complicated and it's not easy to understand what people are feeling or what that history is so there's a lot to dig through in any community well i appreciate you all for coming in today so thank you for this interview and uh continue doing the good work i can't wait to see the films ami screenings are one of the things that i try to make it a point to get to every year so i'm really looking forward to it and to be able to share the links to your films with folks Thank you for listening to our program. For more information, visit www.wmmt.org. This has been Mountain Talk, and I'm Kelly Haywood for WMMT. Real stories, real news, real people radio. I hope you have an excellent evening. WMMT is truly your radio station. We have volunteer DJs from your community playing your favorite music. And with WMMT's wide variety of public affairs programming, we're telling your stories. Good evening and welcome to the Breaking Beans Radio Show. Welcome to History Alive on WMMT Mountain Community Radio. Hello and welcome to Radio from the Heart of Appalachia to the Young at Heart right here on your listener-supported WMMT. You're listening to Shoe Buddy Higher Ground Radio. Welcome to this edition of Mountain Talk Monday. This is Mountain News and World Report. Tune into our public affairs programming Monday through Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m. and on Sundays from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. You can find the public affairs schedule online at WMMT.org, where you can also stream the latest shows or look through our archive. You can also find Mountain Talk Monday and Mountain News and World Report as podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Dedicated to real stories, real news, and real people radio, this is your WMMT. Mm -hmm.